This conversation with the artist and teacher Salima Hashmi is number 16 in an audio series we're calling Another Pakistan, recorded in midsummer 2011. It's a co-production of the Watson Institute at Brown University and the Asia Society. I'm Christopher Leighton in Lahore with Salima Hashmi. She's the daughter of Pakistan's most revered poet of the 20th century, Fez Ahmed Fez. In her own right, she's an actress, a television star, and a main mover in the artistic life of this cultural capital. We're talking about voices and visions of Pakistan. This is open source from the Watson Institute at Brown University. American conversation, global attitude, Pakistani partners this summer of 2011. Salima Hashmi, so privileged to be in your house in Lahore. You spent a lifetime teaching in the arts. You're part of the founding of a new national university of the arts. But once upon a time, you were, you were in trouble as a street puppeteer and a satirist, even on Pakistani television. Where shall we begin? <laughs> well, I've been in trouble more than once, I should say, and fairly regularly with most governments in Pakistan <laughs> of all <laughs> ilk and all shades. Um, but then I think that that is that is true of so many people's lives who do the kind of things that we do, who are, which is in the arts, and you're an activist for uh, for human rights, for women's rights. So that happens, I think, with great regularity all over the world to all kinds of people. I'm not unique. <laughs> Describe <laughs> your project today. Um, well, today I'm uh, again. Pakistan being in the state of turmoil that it is today, this is multifaceted also. On the one side, I am heading an art and design school in Lahore. It's a very new one and it has a very radical vision. Hmm. By that, I mean that the kind of uh, models we had for importing, uh, imparting art education in Pakistan, which I followed for more than 30 years, we feel they're a bit outmoded and they're not really grappling with our realities today. So this art and design school, which was set up seven years ago, um, I looked for a really good team. And I was lucky that I had artists of great vision and designers from across the country and also those that had lived abroad and were coming back. Because there, you'll be surprised, there are a lot of um, very educated, talented people who are coming mm. back to Pakistan now because they feel this is where they're required. Um, so I have this wonderful team. Among them is an international artist of great renown, Rashid Rana, once my student. We've met and him, doing- and I wonder if... <laughs> He studied in Boston. I'm trying to remember if I ever rode in his cab. <laughs> Very possible. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a network, which means that we work with, with a shared vision when we are educating uh, a new generation of artists and designers. For them, really, uh, it's a global world, but they also have their, I think, their roots very deeply into the soil that they emerge from, which is a ch- challenge because you cannot forget what's going on around you. And yet you, you require a vocabulary which is, which is international. So I think when we teach uh, designers who are you know, maybe making a game design for somebody in California, mm. they're also looking at the issues around them. So we make connections with the village because this school is... Uh, located outside the town Um, and we bring in women from there and work with them in using their traditional skills and devising products with their help and perhaps making a difference to the place that we are located so it's a kind of a 
16th century, mm. 21st century existence all at once. So that's my new project right now. But I'm also, um, for a variety of reasons, very deeply involved in the human rights movement in Pakistan. And that worries me and it engages me uh, a lot of the time also. In this global and digitally connected world, I mean, your stars become stars in London and New York too. But what's the what's the agenda for Pakistan and this vision of of artists in the community? It's odd that the worse things are, the better the art becomes. I suppose that is also something <laughs> noticeable elsewhere. <laughs> we are told that you know, in very difficult times of war, I think the human spirit mm. or the resilience of creative people is challenged and therefore comes to the fore. Uh, that's happening here too. Um, you know, I curated this uh, this show of contemporary art at the Asian, uh, Asia Society Museum uh, two years ago in New York, and people were talking about mm. how uh, unusual the work was, how uh, vibrant it was, how vigorous it was. And, you know, were these artists all known and were they working in Pakistan? And I said, yes, they were. And there were 15 artists in the show, by the way. Mm. And I said, I could have brought 50 because that's how many I can I can look upon and say, okay, they're doing something which is rooted and yet it, it takes into fact the very difficult conditions that they work in. And their work is important to them. Sometimes they get an audience and sometimes they don't. Mm. Uh, very often their their economic situation is precarious, uh, but they manage. Some of them teach in schools, in colleges. Uh, some of them have galleries who can uh, market their work, not always. And occasionally they'll get a showing in, you know, Fukuoka or Delhi or New York or San Francisco. That'll tide them over for a while. I really want to believe this idea that bad times, great art, it's the art of a troubled period that we'll remember, that didn't Ruskin say it's the only part of the record that tells the truth? Mm -hmm. And maybe in a time of tremendous political uncertainty, that's why we go to the artists. And it's maybe why Pakistan is getting a different sort of attention. I'm thinking of that Granta edition of Pakistani writers, but this, you know, you could have sent 50 painters, not 15. I mean... Are these people aware of responding to a crisis? And what is the response, do you think? It's very diverse. It's very diverse because there are very many different kinds of crises in Pakistan. There is the crisis of the terrorist. There is the crisis which encroaches on a woman's right to be herself and to choose what she wants to do with her life, with her body, with her future. Um, there is the crisis which hits people who belong to a minority religion or a sect. There are so many different crimes. There is the urban-rural clash. Um, there is the devastation of uh, large parts of Pakistan by, you know, environmental change. So there are so many different kinds of crises. And I think that you find that artists... Can, their work can reflect some of these, but it is also about the celebration of survival mm. and the fact that you are living to tell the tale every day. Um, I mean, that in itself is a, is a great ode, I think, to, to, to the Pakistani spirit. Um, 
and uh, these are mainly young artists mm. and they are artists who are coming from you know the north from mountainous areas they get a scholarship they come to lahore or they coming from a small town in sindh so the tremendous um, variation in their experience before they come before they come to an urban center where they they happen to be lucky enough uh, to get instruction um there's also the fact that they um they speak with very many different kinds of voices so on the one hand in a place where as you noticed just now where we are sitting there's no power um there is also some of them want to work in video you know and mm. they want to do to they want to work on the computer when they may come from a place where there may be no power for 36 hours so this this these are these are the paradoxes and the kind of contradictions so we give thanks Pakistan, for we give thanks for recorder batteries yes absolutely are these artists reflecting on a crisis in the idea of pakistan some of them yes i think that probably what accompanies the art making is a very deep probing and the probing you can't stifle you can't stop because if there's a probing within it is also uh, looking at what is outside i think the many histories of pakistan are also uh, under scrutiny and investigation um some of these artists are from areas from our bordering areas uh bordering on to afghanistan or to iran some of them have traveled to india and of course they watch the news they hear the news um which is which raises a whole lot of other questions mm. also so i think that religion um ethnic backgrounds all of these mean that they look at the project which is pakistan it's funny because when they get when they get a show in say bombay mm. mumbai if you like and there is a huge issue of the visa and whether they go or not and i've helped an artist wait for 5 months of permission so he can be at his opening with the exhibition being postponed three times mm. you know and a very supportive gallery uh and then once he makes an appearance there and you know he's he's such a gentle wonderful young man you know he melts people when he's there and the gallery is sells the work is a sell out and the gallery now wants to take him to dubai and you know he comes back kind of uh, with a quizzical expression <laughs> on his face and says you know i've been in the camp of the enemy and i've survived and you know and, and it was me. great and it was not an enemy and it was a friend and so on and so forth so i think the for the younger generation it's it's an era of discovery all round uh, of really um giving up the idea of demonizing the other uh and that includes the americans <laughs> it we'll get to them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it includes the fact that they 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 really cannot be satisfied with stereotypes either the ones that is created by the state of pakistan uh, or the ones that is created elsewhere you're speaking of the radical vision of your young school I want to hear about the radical vision of Fez Ahmed Fez mm-hmm. that he leaves behind that he enacted through the central years of this country in the partition 
World War II, the aftermath, the building of a young state. He was a progressive. He was the editor of the Pakistani Times. He was a communist. I love his response when people pushed him about it. He said, the Sufi saints are the real comrades. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. Was, well, because he was never a member of the Communist Party, you see. He always said that I'm a, a Marxist. But uh, yeah, he was, I think the idea of a radical new school and Fez's radical vision are not very far apart. I think one flows from the other and rediscovers the other. Talk I, about his. He comes through as a very, uh, very strong-minded man. Let me confess, I have a Google search uh-huh. understanding of your father, but mm-hmm. also as a kind of a poet of love in all its subtleties and ambiguities and ambivalences, but he says, every foundation you see is defective except the foundation of love, mm-hmm. which is faultless. I love his line, vaguely unorthodox prayer. He says, let us lift up our hands, we who do not remember the customary a, prayer, yeah. we who do not remember any idol or God, except, except love. Except love, yes. Yeah, which this is um, this is really one of my favorite poems. And I, <laughs> and I have to say, you, I me. usually trot this out when I'm with a very conservative audience. <laughs> I start with it or I end with it. Um, because there's no doubt he was a very iconoclastic man. Uh, I think that he suffered for it. And of course, as his family, we did too. Uh, but on the other hand, he celebrated the fact that it was possible to keep hope alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is what makes him that, that absolute rebelliousness in the face of injustice or suppression or oppression. It is that which is done with a very, very mild and sweet voice. Um, he was many a time, you know, when there was, especially when he was the first time he went to jail, he was under threat of death sentence. But he would very quietly say and say, no, it will, it will all go away. And I think that that comes through in the poetry also. In his persona, he was a very mild, gentle, humorous, self-critical uh, person who was never ruffled, never lost his temper. Um, I mean, I never got a bawling from my father ever, got plenty from my mother, but never ever from mother. You just swell, you know, smile and say, it's all right. Um, so I think that the passion was all saved for the poetry. And so the call to arms, um, the, the call to take action, um, the raising the banner, which is always a banner of hope and of love, that was all in the poetry. Consequently, you find, and of course, the, uh, his famous poem, Bowl, which is speak, which is mm-hmm. really to tell people to, to just stand up and face. Bowl uh, is, in, is the, the in the movie that kids are talking he's about? He's taken it from, he's, yeah, Bowl, that, that is taken from his, the, the title of his poem, yeah. Um, so that that was a poem used by the lawyers' movement. It's used constantly in India by, you know, in uh, Shabana Azmi when she's talking to the slum dwellers in Mumbai. She will quote Fez. She'll sing this poem. She did it when she came to Lahore. There are fishermen in Kerala who will chant this. I mean, mm. wherever there is. The Can you give us this. the telltale fragment? 
इट इज बोल के लब आजाद हैं तेरे बोल के जबा अब तक तेरी है स्पीक बिकॉज योर लिप्स आर फ्री टू स्पीक स्पीक वाइल यू नो यू हैव अ टंग इन योर माउथ एंड इट इज दैट यू नो दैट बिफोर लाइफ लीव्स यू दिस इज योर टाइम स्पीक अप so i mean that is the gist of the poem he wrote it as a very young man but it's one of the poems which has been used a lot in universities it is used in popular movements um in fact this on june 11th when there was the one day celebration in london tarik ali remembered and quoted this poem which he came and recited to the students when he was a student leader in lahore in government college my father came and recited that poem and tarik uh, was reminiscing about it and how it electrified um the house you know when he was speaking so there there is a lot of that but yes he was a very a great believer that it was love that defined mankind and consequently um when all else was lost the only weapon actually you had uh, was love um and that has come back over and over again um i was intrigued that uh, at this um, big get together in london which about 1200 1400 people sat from 2 in the afternoon till 10 o'clock at night uh, a lot of them were young people possibly people who didn't know urdu i, I think the majority of them probably didn't but there were students who had come from manchester from leeds from oslo from berlin and uh, they were there to celebrate fair so obviously he's made the connection with the next generation may i say i heard salman rushdie say that in his own growing up and in his own english which is full of urdu rhythms fez ahmed fez the poet and um and sadat hasan manto were his inspirations taught him how to write what else do you say about him in this centennial year if there is anything to be said in this centennial year it is that um fez at least i felt that in london seemed to run counter to the other wind if you like or that other thing that okay it's only in religion that you're going to find identity i think fez offered an option and that is what made that enthusiasm of young people in london so so inspiring for me that it could be the poet and his message that could be as strong as the idea of using your definition or your identity in terms of something narrow like your religious belief so for me that is that is important I'm always looking for three main points and I'm wondering what is the legacy of that spirit that beautiful spirit in three zones one confronting extremism religious and otherwise at home two the relationship with India mm-hmm. he lived through partition and third the address to imperial power mm-hmm. it was Britain in India most of his lifetime mm-hmm. it's unmistakably the united states in the world today mm-hmm. uh what are the guidelines uh well for uh, i think for extremism uh within pakistan i think that they i don't think the majority of the people in this country hold extremist beliefs but when they see that the extremist beliefs are winning they may be 
reduced to silence. And I think that is what we are in danger of right now. I don't think that they can win in Pakistan. I really don't. Unless they have military might behind them. That is what we fear. As far as the relationship with our biggest neighbor, India goes, I've always been a peacenik. I've been reviled for that. I very recently, actually, for a talk I was giving in Leeds, I was going through my father's um, editorials for the Pakistan Time. And a very courageous editorial was the one that he wrote on the assassination of Gandhi. Mm. And in that, he specifically says there is no hope for these two states. And he mentions India as well. India and Pakistan, if they do not come, if they do not resolve their differences, there's no hope for their people and there is no hope for their future if they don't do that. Now, I do believe that both India and Pakistan, it's, it doesn't make sense with the juvenile way that the, both these states behave. I mean, I can only call it juvenile, really, without, uh, without reviling young mm. people. Um, I have I have former students. They're married Indian citizens. Life is made impossible and humiliating for people who fall in love with a person on the other side. And goes same thing goes for Indian citizens here. But I must say a little less persecution this side than that. Mm. They cannot move out of the city that they're married into. Imagine you are in this situation. I have sat next to a young woman on a bus that went from Lahore to Delhi who cried, wept all the way to Delhi. And, you know, I, I kept asking, what's mm. the matter? And she was just shaking her head. And eventually she said, you know, my father died four months ago in Meerut over there in India. And it's taken me this long to get my visa. And she sobbed all the way. And she said, when I get there, then I'll go. But, you know, I was not there in time for the funeral and so on. And it's the same thing the other way around. Uh, the both, both countries seem to enjoy this, this um, uh, persecution of their own citizens. I mean, forget about the others, but of their own citizens because they build this edifice on the pain of people of bo on both sides. Could we start again? Could we talk about it? Could we have truth and reconciliation among you know, almost two billion people uh, does any of that uh, Absolutely. point the way? Absolutely. I was once part of a long discussion in, in India, which was on museums, strangely enough. And uh, so somebody said, you know, there are museums, uh, other places where great suffering has taken place. Um, so why not a museum for partition? And then so somebody posed the question, so where would it be placed? <laughs> you know, and you get back to square one. But then a lot of people like myself said, okay, it could, be in, it could be a virtual museum. It could be in virtual space. I mean, we can do that. We have known in Pakistan and India when there was no talk, this is when the 2000 thing came and the buses were stopped and we were on the verge of pressing buttons both sides, um, that, you know, artists sent work to one another through the internet, which was work which celebrated peace between the two. And we printed out these posters. They were kind of posters. And we put them behind taxis. We put them in shops, both sides, Mumbai and Karachi. And we did the same with Lahore and Delhi. The thing is, there has to be a voice of sanity. I do believe that disarmament for this region, and I'm talking about the region because these are now regional issues. You know, there are problems on all the borders, 
in South Asia, whether it's between Nepal and India, between Bangladesh and India. It is, I mean, we are all in deep trouble, which is why I feel it has to be a regional initiative. It has to come from the people of the region who have to say enough. Salima Hashmi, speak to the question of imperial power, please, in your own voice, in Fez's voice, in Pakistan's voice. What are we going to do about this? Well, Fez was always persona non grata, as you can imagine, with the Yanks, as he used to call them. Uh, he was very adamantly um, opposed to the U.S. toppling of Mossadegh's government in Iran. I think that is the legacy that people today um, share with one another from whatever shade of public opinion they are. Mm. They know that, by and large, the U.S. public may not be privy to so many of these policies or they are sold to them in a package in which they are quite happy to ignore the downside uh, of what the U.S. does in many parts of the world, including ours. For what it's worth, I keep finding myself asking in Pakistan, who in the world would we as Americans trust to be drone bombing, robot bombing the bad guys in our neighborhoods from 10,000, 15,000 miles away? I can't imagine it. Mm. That we would say, okay, you know, Tasmania has permission to root out their idea of the villains in our society by remote control. What does Pakistan suppose is the American intention behind all that? You say we have our interests, but behind the drone bombing, what do you suppose we are up to? I come out here to find out in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, well, frankly, I wish I knew too, <laughs> because it sometimes confounds uh, one's you know, uh, clarity <laughs> or what, what, while one is trying to achieve clarity. Um, you know, of course... The history of Afghanistan and Pakistan and uh, even the wider region, uh, even Iran also, they're bound up in what has happened over the last 30 years uh, in this place. When things were simpler, um, I think lots of unfinished business was left around. The people of Afghanistan are tired. Mm. They're exhausted. They are no good guys or bad guys anymore. We know that the U.S. presence during the years of war and conflict with the Soviet Union decimated the fabric of their society because the worst kind of thugs were made into um, you know, the warlords because they were the ones who could fight. They were the ones who could, you know, uh, were always there to do the bidding um, of the U.S. and inverted commas, the free world. Um, consequently, the fabric of that society has been badly decimated. Mm. And if you do not have clear-cut good guys in Afghanistan, I think the answer should be to let the problem be left with the Afghani people. I know that this seems a very frightening proposition, but if funding for them, for the bad guys, if you like, was stopped, and it comes from many places in the world, um, I think the Afghani people, who are a very diverse lot, they would eventually have to sort themselves out. I have this wonderful artist, Khadim Ali, 
who was born and bred in Quetta, but his family came from Bamiyan. And, you know, when he, go back in, when he went back, he told me, you know, my grandmother said this year the poppies were deep red because of the blood that had soaked into, you know, after the massacre of mm-hmm. the Hazaras by the Taliban. We know that, that all of that is there. And yet, one constantly hopes that the Afghani people will eventually have to cope with fending before themselves. Perhaps, you know, the the big boys in all of this conflict, which includes the Americans, which includes the NATO, which includes our army, which includes the Indian forces also, I think, you know, the big boys really, really have to stop playing with their toys. I mean, that's the only thing that I can do. Maybe it's extremely idealistic and it's like, you know, thinking of uh, another world which is never going to happen. But, you know, at least people should be should be convinced to think about it. Absolutely. Try this as a way of simplifying it extremely. What would the great Fez Ahmed Fez say if he knew that the last battle of the Cold War was run through Pakistan and Afghanistan the Soviet Union died, and by the way, Pakistan is now up to its neck in refugees, guns, drugs, and of course terrorists. Well, um, like um, most other people, some of whom are his friends who are still alive, they would be deeply wounded, sometimes extremely pessimistic also. Um, they are people who uh, still hold to their political opinions, who still believe that um, the socialist uh, society is perhaps more humane because it gives opportunities uh, to the weaker sections of society. Maybe those people who I meet quite often, um, maybe they still believe that there is a possibility that um, Pakistan will pull itself together. Um, but I, I feel that this will have to be, perhaps we will see new combinations uh, which will occur, not just in Pakistan, because, but across the region. So, you know, we know that there is no great Shangri-La which is awaiting us. But for Fez, I think his, his message is very clear in the poetry. And that is that there is, there is only the promise. And the promise is that things would, would be better one day. And you cannot, you have to keep the faith and you cannot give up your, your space, which is the space of love. You wear it and you carry it in your heart and you sing of it. And that's <laughs> it. And it, it is there for you to live by. Sili Mahashmi, it's such a privilege to sit in your beautiful living room and hear you. Let's continue the conversation one day. Let's do that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. And please take back the message from Pakistan to friends everywhere that, um, you know, we, we live a life which is a hard life, but it is still full of hope. And uh, we are maybe not the people who you see painted and demonized every day in the media. We're okay. We're really okay. And we have fun and we make nice paintings and we sing wonderful songs and we make poetry. (laughs) Thank you. And what is 
What is that girl inside you, the puppeteer, protester, and satirist, saying to the whole situation? Well, you see, there's uh, in the worst of times in Pakistan, there is always a joke. There's always black humor. There's always irony. In the worst of times, it was there in the paintings also. The best jokes we've ever had in our history were the jokes that came out during Ziaul Haq's period. I remember my father was in an exile in Beirut, and the first thing he did was sit me down and said, "Tell me all the jokes," because <laughs> if there's jokes, that means that you know the human spirit is alive and it's kicking. So for me, you know, the puppeteer, the actor on the streets, the the person who came on television and made great fun of the established ladies and all the great sacred cows that we have in our society, it is. We all have feet of clay, and you know the emperor never has any clothes on. Ben Mandelkern produced and Henry Peck edited this conversation in Lahore with the artist, actress, and teacher Salima Hashmi. Our series, Another Pakistan, is a co-production of the Watson Institute and the Asia Society. Zarmine Ansari is our producer in Pakistan. Thanks also to Bina Sarwar of the Jung Media Group. The conversations continue from South Asia and also online. Listeners, please feed back your views, your Pakistan, with a comment on our website, radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leiden. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Conversation. <laughs>